Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's coming. You're, man, it is coming quick. How many of you guys got kids that are like pumped? They're just ready to go. They're excited. Nobody. I'm not, wrong crowd. Next service will have all the young skin. No, they, how many got grandkids that are pumped? Anybody got grand? Okay, there we go. There's the crowd. Good. Well, good morning. So uh, it's, uh, it's really, I'm really excited about where Christmas is going. And it makes me always reflect back in past Christmases in my life. And do you have that one unforgettable gift that you still, if you think about it, there was that, that surprise gift in the morning when you came downstairs. Maybe it was that bike or that car or something like that. I think everybody's probably got one unforgettable gift in their life. One of my unforgettable gifts happened, um, I, I don't remember how old I was, but we'd gone, we'd do a Christmas Eve thing at my grandmother's house all the time when I was a kid. And so went up there and there was this big, big box for me. It was about this um, probably wasn't that big, but in my, in my, I remember it being really big. And it was a large, large box. And I unwrapped this thing. And I can remember seeing it had these two uh, submarines and this battleship blown up in the distance. And on the top of it said Torpedo Run. It was a brand new game that had come out all in red. And there's this huge game that laid out on this giant mat on the floor. And it stretched, you know, a good maybe six feet across the floor. And you took these little targets and you'd fire them at, um, at these actual battleships and stuff that would blow up. And first person to blow up, the other person person's battleships one i i spent until 2 30 at night that christmas eve putting everything together getting it all all the rubber bands in place putting it all together getting the little torpedoes put together awesome awesome game i i took it downstairs the next morning played with my sisters shooting it around getting all excited about this thing put it away in the box put it in my bedroom and we have the christmas party with my mom's side of the family came over and so all this stuff's going on we eat i go upstairs to go get the game because i want to show it to one of my one of my cousins and i find my five-year-old cousin and my four-year-old cousin in my room had taken that game and torn the board in pieces I got to play it once. I'm still bitter about this, guys. That's unforgettable to me. And, and so I, I don't remember what I did, but I was so mad. And uh, so I, I, we never, my parents being, you know, never bought me another one. It just was, it just never, I just, a torpedo run, goodbye, it ran away. But, the, uh, but for me, it, it's unforgettable because of the trauma that was involved. Sometimes we got, sometimes we got presents and gifts that we've received. And you remember that Christmas because the trauma engaged. Um, maybe some of you guys remember a very special gift because it was given to you by a loved one who, and it was their last Christmas, and you treasure that as something in your home as part of a memory of your family member, or maybe it was that unforgettable bike or that unforgettable car that came into your life, because it just changed the way that you did life after that. There was something about the exploration that came, but gifts have the power to change us, and gifts have the power to be unforgettable in their change, and that's where we're kind of going this morning. It, is the transformation that occurs in us, the change that can occur because of the greatest gift that was given on the first Christmas, which was the gift of Jesus Christ. We want to dive in deeper into that. And this morning we're going to do that by moving forward in, in, in the Christmas stories in a sense. And we're now in John chapter 1. A lot of people don't think of this as a Christmas story, but it is a Christmas passage. So if you want to grab your Bible, open it up with me, join with me in John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's, that's fine. You can 
Grab a Bible from under the seats and, and open it up, and you can find on page 886, and you can begin that journey with us. And um, this is a very important section of Scripture to Christians because it does talk about the biggest theological thing that happened at Christmas, and um, we want to look at what that is. And it starts here in verse 1, and we're going to roll through 5 and skip some for logic's sake. But what we begin with is really that big theological thing of the fact that at Christmas, God became human. This is called um, technically the incarnation. Um, you, you know some baseball players named Incarnacion or whatever, but uh, the incarnation is literally the enfleshment of God. God came and was uh, into, a human, into a human. He became human. He didn't come into a human. He actually became human. And this is where we get this from and several other verses. But it starts here in the book of John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things um, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a little convoluted, but we'll get to that in a second. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so it starts with this kind of interesting opening. It says, in the beginning, referencing back to the beginning, before anything existed, back to Genesis chapter 1. And what we have is this before creation startup, is this, this being, this word, this logos, as it is in Greek. And this word, notice, is with God. And yet at the same time, the word was God. So it's, there is this being that is God, but he's with God. So when you really look at the Greek, it's interesting. It's stating literally this being the word is God, but it is not God the Father. This is another person. This is where Trinity, the Trinity comes in. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're speaking here of the word, the Son, who is God, and he's with God, and he's in the beginning. And there's a lot of interesting technicalities. If you ever want to have a great conversation about the Trinity and, and let's go have a mind romp together and make our heads hurt, we we can do that after service. But right now, uh, we're, we want to look at this just clearly and specifically. It is laying out that this being that is the word is God. And it is not the father, though. And it is not created. Notice he was with God in the beginning. And all things that were made, uh, that were made through him, when without him was not a thing made that was made. That excludes everything. If there's a, anything in the existence of creation, it was made through this word, and this word is not made because it can't be made through itself. So you have this reality that God is the God is here. He's a at least word. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this point. And it's important to distinguish this because the word's going to do something. As we get down, this word is the light that shines in the darkness, and it is the, is the light of men, but in verse 14, suddenly the word takes on a great change as God begins to deliver this gift. And this is the first change that Christmas brought. And it brought a change in the person who is the word. It said this, and the word, verse 14 says, became flesh and dwelt among us, put his tent up with us, is what it's saying. He lived with us and we have seen his glory. And the word glory is God's is God's idea of his showing it off, of his revealing himself, of, of his visible attributes. You can see what he's like. You can see his fame, his knowability. And so we saw, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so right at the beginning, 
We have this powerful change. Christmas enters in in a statement that no other faith would ever make. And that is that while God is three in one, the, the person of the Son, the person of the Word, came and became human. Became a human being and dwelt among us in the flesh. Jesus Christ then is God in the flesh. Walking about on earth, not not possessed by God, not overwhelmed by the presence of God. He is literally God walking on earth, dwelling with us. And this is radical. This is huge because it's going to change everything that we can know about God. If God is just the God that we've all heard of, that is up in the heavens, an old man or whatever he is, then he is unreachable by us. We've been in space. We know how far it goes. We never met God anywhere up there. He's not somewhere in the location of up or down or anywhere like that. God is beyond our universe. How do you get beyond the universe to meet with God or to know about God? And yet, God desired for us to know him. He came in human flesh. And this radically alters the way that we think and why Christianity talks about knowing God the way that we do. And it's key because this is the gift of Christmas. God didn't just simply go, here's a present of salvation. He said, no, here is me. I want to give you myself. And it does a radical secondary change when this occurs. Let's look down here. We're going to skip over 6 through 8 real quick. That just says, basically, there was this guy named John the Baptist who came and pointed at Jesus and said he's the light. And then we get to verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. So here it's saying, God, this God who came into the world, he'd made this world, but they all looked at him and they said, that's, that's not God, that's just a person. It's a human being. We, it doesn't, we, don't, we don't know this. And so, in fact, it goes on to get even worse. He came to his own, meaning the Jewish people and his own people did not receive him. And so there's this rejection that was going on. There's a rejection that occurred. And this rejection says, oh, remember, we're talking about also the creation in the beginning. And so there's this progress, this progression occurring. That Jesus Christ came to his own people, the people who should have received him as the Messiah, spoken about this idea last couple of weeks. That Jesus was supposed to be the king, the anointed king, the one who was coming, that all this Old Testament has been talking about over and over and over again. And so he comes, finally, and the people who he comes to reject him. They, they, They don't receive him. In fact, they crucify him. We need to be careful here before we start pointing fingers at those people because we realize it's sin. It's human sin that brought Jesus to be crucified. The separation between us and God is not so much about the distance between us on earth and the edge of the universe, but it's about relational distance. You know, there have been times in my family where my kids and I have had uh, something happen. They may have broken something, not my torpedo run game, but they may have broken something in our home or they may have done something wrong. And so he sent them to time out. And as I've sent them to time out, I've separated myself from them for their sake and for mine. For their sake, so they can think about what they've done. Maybe so they can see what they've done and and turn around and realize what they did was wrong. And for my sake, so that I can make sure that I'm patient with them and I don't vent my wrath immediately and start yelling and screaming. And, And so what God has done is there is a separation because of sin, because of our wrongs between us and God. And God is being patient with us. He's not out to just knee-jerk reaction, pound us. But he's, in a sense, placed us aside. 
And he said, we, there is something between us. I've said this to my children. You know, there's still something between us. You ever said that to them? And we need to deal with this before we're going to be right. We can't just run around acting like me and my dad are all good and we're all fine when I've done something wrong. No, we have to deal with the wrong before the relationship can be mended. Same thing goes with God. The distance isn't physical. The distance is relational. We have a a relational distance between us and God because of sin. And God has, in effect, placed us in time out, separated himself and us from him so that we might see our sin, realize what we've done, and repent. But when he finally did come into the room, in a sense, it says, when he came to his people, they rejected him. We didn't want to hear from him. It's like we walked in the room, we said, get lost, I don't like you, I hate you. As if we're throwing childish temper tantrums. I figured out how to do things all on my own. And, and, and he says that we came and we rejected him. Sin will ultimately cause us to reject God. It causes that relational separation. It's where we then start stumbling around in the dark, trying to figure out life, trying to figure out what we're doing. And we wind up making a mess out of things because we think we're doing the right thing. And what happens? It invariably what? It, it falls apart on us, doesn't it? We wind up building ourselves a problem. We, we break relationships with family members. We don't, things happen at work that seem to be messed up. We, we have problems inside of ourselves where we feel guilty. We just start breaking things all over the place because we don't have guidance. We don't have our, our God who, is to, who made us to be like him to guide us because we're separated and we're running off doing whatever we want, making bigger and bigger messes out of everything in sin. And that's why he came. He stepped in, became a human because he knew we needed his presence. In fact, what happens then is we don't have to reject him. We can actually receive him because what goes on is that he came so he would change our relationship. In fact, he came so we could become his kids. Check this out. I love this verse. But to all who did receive him, who believed, retrusted in his name, trusted in what he did, he gave the right to become children of God. They weren't born, who were not born of a, a blood, nor, were the, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And they were, they were born of God's will, born of God's desire. He came to give us a new chance. He came so that we would receive his gift. Now, Jesus Christ on the cross, after, when he became 33, he, he came to this place where his people rejected him finally. They crucified him. And there on the cross, he dealt with that separation. You see, all that separation leads to is a punishment in the end, doesn't it? You know if you reject your parents long enough and you start yelling at them long enough when you've been in timeout, what comes next? In my home, it came spankings. When you rejected the spankings, then came the belt. When dad started undoing the belt, you knew you were in a world of trouble. The only time that ever happened to me was when we, we, we acted like we ran away and we only got as far as my elementary school. But I mean, that, that was the ultimate affront of saying, I reject you, parents. And so there came punishment, a very strong separation, ultimately punishment. People hear about hell all the time, and they hear about the, the horrors of hell and how God's up there and he's all laughing. No, no, no. All hell is, is is basically our complete separation from God and the punishment for our rejection of him. That's what hell is. And Jesus came, and on the cross, he bore that hell. He bore that punishment for us so that in our rejection of him, he actually is accepting us. What a flip. 
He takes our rejection and says, I'm going to use that to be the very thing that I show you that I love you, that I show you that I care about you, that I show you I've been patient with you, that I can show you that I want you to be my kid. I don't want you to walk around on your own. I want to have a reunion. I want this relationship fixed. I want a reunion. I want it connected. I want it back together. And so those who do receive him, who trust in what he has done on the cross to take care of that sin and link us back to God, we have the right to be called children of God. Yeah, there's a lot of people in this world who say, yeah, I'm a child of God. God created me. And that's good. From our perspective, people will say that and they'll say, I'm a child of God. I'm glad they're thinking about God in some form or fashion. But when God looks at the picture, he says, no, no, no. I let you know if you, I let you know if you have the right to call me dad. You see, it's the, it's the master of the house. It's the dad of the home. He gets to kind of dictate the terms. Isn't that right? Isn't that how it worked? Even when you're 21, you're standing there with you, you're still living in your parents' home. What do they tell you? Hey, this ain't going to happen in my house. God's saying the same thing. Everything is his house. We are his creation, yes. But he says, unless you trusted my son and he's borne your sins and our relationship is fixed, this isn't a father-child relationship. This is a serious breach in your God and a God and creator relationship. And so Jesus comes and he comes to call us to be born again, to be born in and made into this relationship with God. It's the second big change that comes from this gift of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to give us a chance to be God's kids. Now that adds a lot to, adds a lot guys. When we really think about this, this means that God is actually ready to provide for us. When he's your father, sure, he provides when he's your God, but he provides for us as a father in powerful ways. First of all, he provided for us spiritually, amen? He gave us what we need to be in his presence. The word in the Bible is called righteousness. And when you're righteous before God, it means you got everything you need to stand in front of him. And there's nobody on earth who's righteous before God. We can't stand before him. And instead, what he did is he came and he said, I know you don't have any, anything, but it's like Bill Gates unloaded his entire bank account on you. You can afford anything. You're never going to be in debt, period. And that's how it is with God. There is no debt when you're his child. You have the storehouses of heaven available to you. He's providing for you. Not only that, he's even providing for death after, or life after death. That are not just a spiritual existence where we're floating around going, no, he's going to give us a chance to be resurrected. And bodies that will never get sick. And bodies that will be well again. That will be healthy and whole. That won't age any longer. This is what the resurrection brings for us. And when that occurs, there's an inheritance that goes along with it. Because he's going to resurrect the entire universe. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This is the God who makes everything. You see why I challenged you guys last week. That if you still haven't got down that this God of the Bible exists. This stuff sounds crazy. But when you understand that the God of the Bible exists, this is the God who created the universe, and you've wrestled through those problems and those questions, the reality of we being resurrected is a snap for God. The reality for him to redo what we broke is not a problem for God. And that he wants to give that to us is massive because he wants to bless his children with eternity in his presence and on a right earth. But it's even more than that. See, God's not limited to just what's going to happen to us there. When you're a dad and you have kids, I've just been doing this with my daughter. We've been working through a project at, at home, and uh, the state project. Anybody remember your state project if you had to do one? I remember. Wow. They stink. And so <laughs> and we've been working through this, but it's been the goal of to really 
train and help teach and guide and lead and walk her through this process. And, and that's, the, that's what's going on in my family. I'm trying to teach. My wife is trying to teach. We're trying to guide and lead and train. God's no different. Guys, when we come to Christ, all this old knowledge, we thought how life works and all this stuff, we should have just thrown out. Because the bottom line, we were wrong. It got us into a mess of trouble. And we were kids who were coming back going, Dad, I don't know how to live this life. I messed it up. You show me. And Dad, our dad, our father in heaven is ready to lead us and guide us and teach us. In fact, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It is God who literally comes to us, lives with us, and guides us in life. He teaches us from the scripture. He challenges your conscience. He'll actually make you realize that things you thought were okay are wrong. Try that one on. That's one of the hardest things when you're a Christian, right? You used to get away with all this stuff, and then the Holy Spirit comes in your life, and you're like, I can't do that anymore without feeling guilty. I can't do that anymore without winding up realizing I'm, I'm just not walking with God right. And God, that's God with us, training us and walking with us and teaching us as a father does a child. And finally, he loves us. He loves us. In the book of Moses, or in the, in the book of Moses, not wrong church, in the, in the, in the, in the book of Exodus, Moses off, gets an opportunity, not catching on, Moses gets an opportunity to see God's glory. As he does so, God proclaims his name. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God of gracious, graciousness and mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast, loving kindness. As a father, he is steadfast in his loving kindness. Guys, if you're hearing this and you're wrestling with the idea that maybe God doesn't love you, you've been wrestling with a distance with God because, because of whatever's gone on, maybe a sin that you've committed or, or it's just a stale time in your spiritual life, God has not loved you any less. He has a steadfast loving kindness for his children. In fact, uh, his steadfast loving kindness, think about it, it's steadfast. It doesn't wax. It doesn't wane. It just is consistent and constant and coming to you. It doesn't stop. When I, when I put my kids to bed, and sometimes what I'll do is I'll look at them, and I'll lean forward at them, and I'll say, do you know how much I love you? And they'll say, so much. And I say, will I ever stop loving you? And the answer that we'd say in my house is never, never. I know it's a double negative. That doesn't mean I will. It just It's emphasis. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to emphasize the fact for them that they will never lose my love. It is a steadfast love. No matter what I do, no matter where, what they do, where they go, no matter what I do, where I go, God's love, because I've trusted in Christ, is always with me, is always with you. He is always there, ready to provide. He is not going to break forth in wrath and throw you in hell because of a bad day. He loves you as his child. He will now discipline you to guide you and lead you, but he will never give up on you. He will never stop hunting you down if you're in rebellion right now. You've walked away and you're giving into your sin. He's going to be on you if you're his child because he loves you. And that love is active and never stops. That's some of the great change that God gives us through the gift of Jesus Christ. But you know, some of us may be sitting here going, I don't know if I really want to be God's kid. Let's be honest, there's some bad rumors floating around about what God is like out there, and they can get us pretty mixed up. And maybe God's not that good of a dad. I mean, he sounds like a hater. He's this warmonger, hawk. I mean, all this stuff we hear about God all the time out in our culture. Why would you want to be a part of that family? Why would you want that as your dad? And yet, 
This is the other reason Jesus really came. Jesus came so he could really know God. God showed up as a human being because he knew there were a bunch of rumors floating around about him and they never stopped. In the ancient world, there were rumors that there are multiple gods and they all have powers over all this different stuff. In our day and age, there is no God. There may be a God or there is a God, but he's up in heaven and he just spun the world and walked away. Anybody heard these things? Maybe you're here today and you think that there's the cop God. And all he's doing is he's sitting around just waiting to turn the lights on on you. Boom! Yeah, you're going to pull you over, throw the cuffs on you, give you a ticket because you did something wrong. Maybe some of us are under the delusion, like many in our culture are, that he's Grandpa Santa God. That's what I like to call him. He's upstairs, the old man upstairs. He sees people. He knows who's naughty. He knows who's nice, but everybody gets a present. He doesn't really care. He's like, ho, 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 that's cute. Kids will be kids. Creation will be creation. Ah, go ahead, sin. Go ahead, do whatever you want. It's no big deal. That is the American Santa God right there. Some of us have a God who's just a bigger us. Oh, God would want me to be happy, so I'll do whatever I want. And God is just a big us, or he's a big dad. Your dad. Which could be really good or really bad. And the danger is when we start associating all these wrong concepts of who God is, I think God begins to go, wait a minute, I didn't leave this as a question mark for human beings. I didn't leave it out there so you could speculate. He's been communicating and trying to let us know who he is. He started with the law. He started with the word of, with all the way back here, explaining who he was, trying to be with people, showing it what it looked like in a culture. All this hard work he did throughout the Old Testament. In fact, that's what we see here, that he was trying to give us evidence of who he was, but then he realized he needed to step into, on, on, onto earth and make it clear. So verse 14 begins again, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, gift upon gift. There's another way of thinking of that. For the law, the rules, and the way God acts with humans as God was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace, the gift of a relationship with him and the truth about who God was came through Jesus Christ. So no one has ever seen God, it says. Not Moses, not Adam and Eve. They never saw God in his full glory. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, this is the picture of of table fellowship. The idea in the ancient world is they would sit around. They didn't, they didn't sit in seats. So like when you watch Da Vinci's Last Supper, you know, you got Johnson. They're going, hey, you know, he's all kicking back. I had to play John once in a play and had to do that. It was really annoying sitting in Jesus' chest like this. No, what it meant was you were down on the ground on a divan with your, this is typically on your left hand, you'd eat with your right. And when you needed to talk to the person behind you, you'd lean back. And you were in their chest. You were in their bosom, as the King James puts it. And the picture is intimacy because the person who sat that close to the master of the table was usually the son or the next most powerful person at the table, the honored guest or something like that. And so they, or actually the, uh, the most powerful son, the honored guest is the one that the master leans back on. But here the picture is that this person knows God intimately, not only seen them, but has leaned back in their, in his presence 
This God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he's made God known. There's anything that Christmas is about. It's about God bringing about a great event so we would know him. We would know him intimately. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to guess what God is like. We don't have to believe the rumors. God is ready to show us what he's like. And the way he did it was he gave us Jesus. You want to know what God would be like as a human? You can answer Jewel's question, right? What if God was one of us? I mean, it was Jewel. I forget who it was. It was Alanis Morissette's question. What if God was one of us? Whoever sang the song, the point is simply this. We can know. He's right here, displayed in four gospels, opened into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The presence of God himself came on earth as a person. And in Jesus, you see how the law, you see how truth, you see how grace molds together and how God would act on earth and how he would live out his life. Now, this is important because I believe A.W. Tozer is right. He stated this quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We are the only creatures on this planet, physical creatures on this planet that think about God. There's no thoughts about God in the dog's minds, as cute as they are, in cats' minds, not even in the chimpanzee. No, it is in the human mind given alone to conceive and contemplate their creator that we have the opportunity to know him. And when we have a flippant Santa God, you will live a flippant life. When you have a cop God who's going to catch you, you're going to live a restrained, restricted life and one day blow up and just go against him or whatever. When you live in a world where there is no God, you don't know what the direction is and you're fine with that or you're uneasy about that. If you live in a world in which their God is limited in any fashion, your life becomes limited. The more you know about God because you're made in the image of God, the more you'll know about who you are as a human being. And life grows the better you know God. It is the most important thing that we can ever think of and master is knowing God. He's given you this radical opportunity to see what he's like, to be with him, to be in his presence, to enjoy him through the Holy Spirit, through the picture of Jesus, through all that it means to live out a life like Jesus. Guys, we get this radical opportunity to know God. We get this this invitation to come and enjoy him, to come and be overwhelmed by him, to know him in our prayer life, to know him from the word of God, to know him through all of these aspects of living in the presence of God. Guys, are we even getting this? Do we even get the chance? How well do you know God? As a church, as a Christian church who celebrates Christmas where God was became knowable how well do you know him you know we may not know God well because we haven't become his children yet some of you are living in speculation you're living with rumor you're living with human philosophy and guesswork can get us close at times, but sometimes is so radically out of bounds because God's a person that can't be defined by our finite physical ideas. But God is huge and great. And maybe what we need to do is come to receive what 
the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross to become his child so we can actually get to know him like a child. Maybe some of us may not know God well because we haven't been talking to him. We aren't relating. It's been a long time since you've opened the Bible and actually sat in it. And I'm not talking about just reading through it. I'm talking about sat in it. Listen to what God's been saying through the words to challenge your life and your soul to seek God's will by talking to mature Christians and laying out your problem and saying, how should I manage this according to scripture? Sitting down and giving your time in prayer to God where you're listening and you're praying for other people and you're laying your problems out and, and suddenly your eyes are clear where God is answering over and over and over again, where you're bringing him into your boardroom, where you're sitting down at the construction site and you're inviting God to give you a hand, where you're in front of that client and you're making sure that God is right there with you, guiding you and leading you so you can care and love, the other, love this person or with your children or at your baseball game or whatever you find. The adventure of enjoying God happens in the moments every single day. And maybe we're just not inviting him in. Maybe we're just not talking to him. Maybe we're just not connecting. Maybe that's what it is. I want to challenge you. Then you should begin this prayer life. Let that manger scene, let the enjoyment of Christmas and every gift you open remind you the original gift that you received was the opportunity to get to know God. You're his child. It's time to get to know our father. But there's another danger. Some of you don't know him as well as you think because you think you know him well. You think you've come to the end of God. There ain't nothing nobody's taught you in years, you say. You think you've prayed that prayer before. You've read that verse before. You've got that down. You're you're good to go. I want to warn you. Your God is way too small and is not the God of the Bible then. The God of the Bible is an infinite God. This God doesn't stop. His creativity is infinite. His knowledge is vast and beyond all measurability. This God is so huge. He can't encompass all of our minds and all of history. We couldn't write enough tomes. We couldn't explore enough things because he's a person to get to know. He's not a book to read. He's not a theological statement to master. Although we can know about him many things, he is someone to know. And the problem is that many of us have the same problem we have with our parents You have a five-year-old's understanding of your parents. Do you remember that day you woke up and realized, my parents aren't quite what I thought they were? Anybody remember that one? Then you did it again. You figured them out, and then they changed, or you got to know them better, and you went, I didn't know about about them. And in your 20s, you thought you knew your parents better than in your teens. In your 30s, you thought you knew your parents better than your 20s. In your 40s, you think you know your parents better. And then it's in your 60s and 70s and 80s, after you've experienced what your parents experienced, you go, now I really get them. Do you ever think maybe the people grow and we understand more of them as we understand, as we grow? That as you get older in the faith, there's, there's something about God. He doesn't grow, but there's something deeper about him that you can now understand. That maybe it's... We were meant to be eternal beings to understand a God who is infinite. To explore the infiniteness of who he is. And maybe we're his children because he never ceases to be the parent that we're constantly discovering and learning about who loves us in new and glorious ways, who fascinates us about how he acts, who blows us away about his ways. Guys, I'm inviting you into an understanding of God. 
Don't think you've known him. Don't think you've caught everything. What you do know about him, you know it. Hold on to it and build from there. The Bible teaches us so much about him. We haven't plumbed the depths of this thing yet. You haven't met him so deeply in your prayer time that he hasn't wowed you. He hasn't walked into your boardroom and blown you away with an answered prayer that you never expected yet. And if he has, he hasn't finished. Open that gift. Enjoy that. I think a lot of us frustrate ourselves because we forget to enjoy it. You see, one thing when we do premarital counseling, my wife and I know is that we tell them the secret of our relationship is we've never stopped talking. In fact, for us, our entire relationship, we consider it just one long conversation. It just hasn't stopped. So what happened when you put a preacher in, 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 in a home, right? It just No, I, we, we just love talking to each other. And I know her better today than I knew her when I married her. I know her better today, and I enjoy her more today. And our relationship deepens because we never stopped communicating. We never stopped enjoying each other. I want to encourage you that's the same thing with God. Pick up the word, pick up your prayer, go back to enjoying your maker who has called you son or daughter. Let's return to the gift we've been given because God is simply knowable. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you for the opportunity to know you in such magnificent ways. We look forward so much to how you will blow us away and we ask that you would help us to do that as we explore that in these next weeks. But for a minute, I want to talk to some of you in this room who may not have that relationship with God. You, you may not have that deep relationship with him because you have yet to have received what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you, that gift that God has. Yes, there is a separation between you. What I said is true. And this morning, you can have that separation dealt with by receiving the gift that God gives through his son, Jesus. He is coming to you right now. And he's telling you, I want to forgive you, but you need to receive my son so we can get this relationship set right. And if that's where you're at this morning and you've had that separation with God and you need to make that right with him because you want to know God, you want to stop guessing and believing the rumors and you don't want to experience the final punishment, but you want a relationship with God so that you can walk with him through eternity in heaven. Then you need to receive Jesus Christ. You need to receive the gift. And if that's where you're at, you can do that right now. Just indicate you're willing to just by putting your hand up. You're saying, yes, that's me. I'm ready to trust that Jesus took my sins. I'm ready to start a relationship with the God of heaven. Right where you're at, if that's you this morning, you can begin by just having a conversation with God and start that conversation out by letting him know the sins that you've committed. You're just going to lay them out before him, acknowledging the things you've done wrong. Now, I know you may not be done with that, but when you are, you're going to do them. You're going to turn away from those things called repentance. You're going to turn from your sins and turn to God. In your mind, you say, God, and let him know that you give him your sins to put him on Jesus. 
Tell them that you trust that Jesus has borne those sins and that you're forgiven. Now ask God to come into your life, to give you new life like he did Jesus in the resurrection. Ask him to lead you and to guide you and to save you from hell. Tell him you trust him in those things. God, I lift up those who are making this dedication to you, asking you to lead them. I pray that you'd bless them with your presence. I pray that they would get to know you so deeply and so powerfully. That you would cease to be the God that's up in, up in space somewhere, but you'd become the God who dwells in their very life. And God, I pray that prayer for all of us in this room, that we would know you that well. Or that we would be a church that knows you, God. That we would be a church that enjoys knowing you and lives it out in everything that we do. We would love the people that you love. We would tell the message that you sent us to tell. And that you would be celebrated in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.